take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. CannabisRadio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show The voice of the marijuana nation Hey, this is great, man Now, here's your host Radical Russ Belleville Good day, tokers and tokettes and non-toking lovers of liberty. It is Thursday, July 28th, 2016, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. Thanks for joining us here in beautiful legal potland, Oregon. We appreciate each and every one of you who take the time to tune in your computer to our daily live stream. And to those of you who are listening via podcast, glad to have you here as well. It's my pleasure and honor to be bringing you this show every day, fighting for the end of adult marijuana legalization, and I am more optimistic and hopeful than ever before, uh, thanks to our president, President Barack Obama, whose speech last night at the Democratic National Convention, I, I often say that as a public speaker, you know, Barack Obama and Bill Clinton are like Olympic class athletes, right? You just, it's just a beauty to watch them speak. But last night, President Obama delivered a world record Olympic performance. It was a performance so grand, he shook me out of my Bernie or bust stand. I am begrudgingly kicking and screaming, dragging my heels, holding my nose. But I am supporting Hillary Clinton for president. And so we're going to be talking about that today. I'm going to take a government at work segment right here after this break and explain why. Because I know so many of you listening to me have been uh, with me on this uh, Bernie Sanders ride and have stuck with me as I've gone through this whole Bernie or bust phenomenon. And it just became untenable for me. I just could not come up with enough reason and logic to support the argument anymore. And I feel that uh, any man or woman has the right to investigate the data, look over the context, re-examine old assumptions, examine new information, and come to new conclusions. It's okay to have a change of heart, have a change of mind. And it doesn't at all change a lot of the things that I felt about Hillary Clinton. We'll talk more about that, like I said, coming up uh, right after the break. And and I'm hoping that uh, maybe my transformation could perhaps inspire you to think about it as well. So we'll get to that coming up. But uh, also on the show today, we'll get to our cannabis radio news. We've got all sorts of interesting headlines going on. We've got one from Australia that shocked me. I thought I knew all about worldwide marijuana laws. I did not realize this one about Australia. Uh, we've also got uh, the story of the 19-year-old in uh, Portland who's facing federal prison for a gram of weed in Oregon. Uh, what a hell of a story that is. We've got uh, a new study from the American Heart Association on secondhand cannabis smoke that's got some concerns for us to check out. We've got a congressman in Arkansas bragging about his master weed cultiv- uh, uh, eradication skills. We'll bring that to you. Uh, there's an Arizona mom who's facing some child abuse charges over marijuana gummies. We've got an update on that Oregon State Fair where there's going to be live cannabis plants. And we've got another dispensary uh, opening up shop in the state of Florida. After that, we'll get to our Cops Say Legalized Drug segment. Every other Thursday, we speak with a former law enforcement official who's now a speaker for law enforcement against prohibition. Today, it'll be retired police sergeant Carl Tenenbaum joining us on the show. And then at the end of the show, I'll have time for a radical rant, which kind of bookends what I'm going to tell you in government work. First, I'm going to tell you why I'm no longer burning your bust. And then I'm going to tell you if you really want to get a third party candidate president you really want a green like a jill stein you really want a libertarian like a gary johnson i'm going to tell you exactly how you can make it happen it's not going to happen this election cycle probably not even next election cycle you might have to put 20 years work into this but it's doable i'm going to tell you how when we return This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
Cannabis use isn't the only thing growing. So are we. Grow with us. CannabisRadio.com Play as Ted Growing, expelled botany sophomore and the biggest grower in town, only on Weed Firm Replanted. Available on the App Store and Google Play. It's a lot of work being the biggest grower in town. Maintaining a room full of plants while dealing with a slew of eccentric customers? From a hardcore partier to the curious neighbor next door. Is anybody home? Help me expand my bud business by unlocking new strains, customizing my grow room, and completing challenges that you can't get enough of. Grow your empire so big you can see it from space. Low on funds? Don't worry. Weed Firm Replanted is free to download. Download Weed Firm Replanted for free on the App Store and Google Play today. Get growing, Mr. Growing. From high atop Mount Soldad in San Diego, California, 100 feet above sea level. Good morning. It's good news with cannabis nurse Heather. This plant is amazing. Positive change is happening. We did it. No matter who you are, you can make a positive impact on the world. I would rather be illegally alive than legally dead. And that quote helped to give you strength. Nurse Heather is only on CannabisRadio.com. Good morning, Cannabis Nurse Heather. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. You're going to find really wonderful, well-meaning, well-spoken people. And then people that are just batshit crazy. Okay. Maybe you're high, too. Are you playing an acoustic guitar but want to be louder without an amp? Try a resonator guitar. The fingerboard extension has national resophonic and other resonators, square necks, and round necks. Stop by the fingerboard extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Go wild hog in the woods. Reforming America's marijuana prohibition laws takes education, lobbying, and voting. From Washington, D.C. to your state capitol to your city hall, marijuana law reform involves all levels of civic life. Learn how you can make your impact with elected officials as we take a look at our government at work. You know, folks, I had it all ready to go. Uh, Yesterday, I woke up in a flash of inspiration, sat down at the laptop, still steaming mad about the dnc leak thing all ready for me to type up why i was going to remain burning or bust i i seriously just sat down and about three thousand words came pouring out and i went back and got all the hyperlinks and all of the the uh, research that i needed and backed it up and and was ready to get it all saved when poof it disappeared (laughs) <laughs> the the web page I was typing into just poof just nothing gone. I think I I think I mentioned it yesterday, didn't I? Because I continued on uh, getting the show prepped and I did the show. And after the show, I opened up Microsoft Word, right? Because at least that'll auto save, dummy. And I start typing the whole thing again. I'm about two thousand words into it, and then blink, my laptop just turns off, like like power off, nothing, just black screen. So I'm like, ah, oh, Christ, my laptop's on the fritz. So I restarted it, and then I figured, let's take a walk, get away from it, walk down the, out of the condo down the street to get some groceries. Uh, I came back and uh, fire, uh, made some dinner, and after dinner, I fired up Word again and got the autosave. There's still about 1,700 words left. I'm about ready to bury myself into that essay and get it finished and posted, you know, making my point. You know, sometimes you just got to draw the line. The Democratic committee stealing this election, that's too far. We can't reward this. I I had it all ready to go. And then I saw that President Obama was coming up onto the stage at the Democratic convention in Philadelphia. I've had C-SPAN on every hour of both conventions, sometimes, you know, on mute, but I've had it on all, all the time. So I thought, all right, well, let me, let me just save what I got so far. And then we watch, uh, Obama speak and I'll finish it afterwards. Well, after his speech, I came back to the laptop and I looked at the 1700 words or so, and I knew deep in my heart that I was glad that the computer had failed two times earlier in the day and saved me a whole lot of heartache moving forward because in that 40 minute speech, Barack Obama convinced me to vote for Hillary Clinton. 
not like Hillary Clinton, not support Hillary Clinton, not believe Hillary Clinton, but I will vote for her in November. Because politics is about feelings and policy is about facts. And listening to Obama, I finally felt like someone was addressing my frustration and anger and disappointment with the Democratic Party in general and Hillary Clinton in particular. Not in a lecturing, patronizing, mocking, or insulting way, like I've been receiving from other Hillary supporters on the web, but in an understanding, in an inclusive, and adult way. See, in the face of our continued protests, even after Bernie himself endorsed Hillary, most Democrats reflexively jumped straight to logic, held up a flashcard with Clinton greater than Trump, and then berated us for being too stupid to understand math. And nobody likes being told they're stupid, right? <laughs> but tonight it felt like, or yesterday I should say, it felt like Obama actually had heard and noticed and understood that there's a sincere, legitimate emotion behind our protests. They're not rooted in being idiotic, fanatical, misogynist, heterosexual, cisgendered, privileged white males, speaking at least for myself, but they're rooted in the true love for our democracy, the true love of fair play, the true love of progressive ideals. And we're so upset and disappointed because it's the Democrats who did it. This is the shit we expect from Republicans. Yes, the, f the fucking system is rigged and we're going to continue having Mideast wars and shitty trade deals and fossil fuel pollution and big pharmaceuticals and money and politics. And Hillary Clinton, by her nature, is going to be pulled toward the pro pragmatic center and the 1%. Absolutely agree. I do not disavow anything I've written in my previous evaluations of her. I mean, I'm, I'm still holding on to a lot of George Carlin's observation that this country was bought and sold a long time ago. It's their club and we're not in it. I'm under no illusion that my voting for Hillary Clinton is going to make any of these issues go away or even improve most of them, might even exacerbate some of them. But then again, neither will Donald Trump. <laughs> at best, under him, things will stay as shitty as they are. That would be the best I could hope for. And at worst, they're going to get far shittier. And the question to me is, who do you want running this shitty, corrupt system? Bill Maher used to say the only difference between Democrats and Republicans is that Democrats were owned by a slightly less scary group of special interests. I guess I've just given in to the fact that if we're going to be ruled by two parties of corrupt oligarchs, but better to have the one whose audience looks more like the America I like and less like the audience for a performance of Riverdance in Whitefish, Montana. Somehow, Obama triggered a reality check in me that Life sucks, buy a helmet, politics ain't beanbag, you can't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes, you just might find you get what you need. What I need is the marijuana industry to continue to develop, because it pays my bills. My worst case scenario under Hillary Clinton is some regulatory nightmares around rescheduling natural THC down to Schedule 2. My worst case scenario under Donald Trump is an attorney general, Chris Christie, who begins vigorous federal enforcement of drug laws and shuts the whole commercial thing down. And it was probably President Obama's line about how passionate we've been for Bernie in the election is how passionate we need to be about politics over the other three years that probably flipped the switch. I'm going to vote for Hillary Clinton, and then I'm going to be a pain in her fucking ass for the next four years. I was reminded of Franklin Roosevelt's line about You've convinced me. Now go out and make me do it to the labor movement back in the 30s. Because it's not Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump that's going to make real lasting change. It's us. It's the Occupy movement. It's Black Lives Matter. It's Fight for 15. It's every protest and petition we throw her way. It wasn't Bill Clinton or Barack Obama that legalized gay marriage and weed. It was grassroots politics at the state level and a sustained assault on the judiciary. And while Obama didn't mention it, yeah, I have to be honest and say the Supreme Court threat has finally worked on me. It was in that montage of Obama's legacy where it showed him with Sonia Sotomayor that nailed it for me. I've been clinging on to this idea that Ruth Bader Ginsburg could hold on to at least age 87. I mean, she's feisty and white female life expectancy is 81 now. But... As it appears the GOP will never confirm Merrick Garland, a Trump win means at least a 5-4 conservative majority, 
and three liberal justices in their 80s. In one term, he could possibly tilt the court to an 8-1 conservative majority that would last the rest of my life. And now, I'm salivating at the idea of retaking Congress and Hillary Clinton getting to a point at least a 5-4 liberal majority and maybe a 6-3 majority. And give her a second term, and Alito and Thomas are in their 70s, and we could go 7-2 or even 8-1. <laughs> and the idea of John Roberts as Chief Justice all alone on the right warms the cockles of my heart. Another thing that has convinced me to vote for Hillary is Hurricane Katrina. Some parts of government aren't liberal or conservative. They're just bureaucracies that need to function properly. I don't trust much about Hillary Clinton, except that she is a master bureaucrat. I can't see her, FEMA, letting a city full of poor black people drown through mismanagement, incompetence, and apathy. President Trump? Hmm. One of my biggest complaints about Hillary was how she voted for the Iraq war and stood against gay marriage, only to later say those stances were a mistake. But President Obama helped me to see that good people can make bad mistakes for the wrong reasons when they're trying to work within a corrupted system. He made me feel like Hillary may not be a good candidate for me, but there's at least a chance to make her good enough. Trump's not going to respond to anything I do or say. I criticized her as being beholden to the polls. But President Obama kind of helped me see that as a good thing. If we don't want Hillary going to war, promoting fracking, instituting bad trade deals and the like, all we got to do is make it unpopular for her to do so. Now, I know fans of mine are going to be upset about this, and I expect to be called a sellout, a turncoat. No, you're not so radical. You should change your name. But a man has a right to evaluate new data, re-examine old assumptions, and come to new conclusions. And if he discovers he's wrong, admit it. I wasn't wrong to argue forcefully for Bernie Sanders to be the nominee, but it would be wrong of me to continue advising people not to vote for Hillary Clinton. I re-examined the platforms of the Libertarians, Gary Johnson and Bill Weld, and first of all, wasn't it ironic of me to write a popular essay about how I don't vote for Republicans, yet I was considering voting for two former Republican governors? But second, I realize there's probably more in my list of policy disagreements with them than I have with Hillary Clinton. I mean, sure, they're great on marijuana legalization and gay rights, but what's this about abolishing the IRS and the Department of Education? And I get along great with the platform of Jill Stein and the Green Party, but what good is a vote for either libertarians or greens for president actually going to accomplish? I suppose if you're in a safe blue or red state, you might make the argument that you're building viability for the party and seeking matching federal funds and the like, but you'll also be reducing the popular vote mandate for the candidate that I hope you're hoping will beat Trump. But if you're in a swing state, your vote goes in the stop Trump bucket, the help Trump bucket, or the do nothing and let everyone else decide bucket. I've returned to my previous argument. The game theory of our electoral system means no third party is ever going to win the presidency in my lifetime, and worse, can only help choose for president the candidate most people don't want. For example, Bill Clinton's 43% win in 1992 meant 57% of the people did not want that president. Mapping out the scenarios by which Gary Johnson could tie up the Electoral College has convinced me further that the U.S. is simply locked into a two-party system unless we amend the Constitution. A third party would have to win the Electoral College outright because all the tie-breaking scenarios favor the party in power in the Congress and there's not a single elected Libertarian or Green in there. Note, if you are in Utah, though, please vote Libertarian. That state was never going to go to... Clinton, and if you win it for Johnson, that six electoral votes Trump doesn't get. I know by voting for Hillary Clinton, I, uh, I am affixing my approval to her next war, her next bank bailout, all those things I've been writing about. But I can also say that I did the most I could with my vote to ensure America would never be led by a sociopath. The system we have is a brutal, corrupt, and shitty enough system without handing it over to Donald Trump, a Republican Congress, and an 8-1 conservative Supreme Court. I guess I'm with Giant Douche 2016 over Turd Sandwich. At least Giant Douche leaves you feeling clean and refreshed and has far less E. coli than Turd Sandwich.
like I picked the wrong week to quit smoking. <laughs> no, this just might be the right week to start smoking. Happy 420 to my friends in the Colorado Mountain Time Zone area. 20 after everyone everywhere else, except for those three time zones that are on the half hour or the 45 minutes. But tell you what, we'll uh, look the other way. You can smoke with us, too. We'll be right back. We don't limit how much you smoke, and we don't limit where you listen. Cannabis Radio is now on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Source, shop, network, and learn at Indo Expo, covering all things cannabis from seed to sale. Portland, Oregon's Expo Center, August 6th and 7th. Source and shop over 250 exhibitors. Network and learn at our educational seminars all weekend long. Free admission for buyers, store owners, and MJ industry professionals. Looking for a career in the MJ industry? Attend Indo Expo's Career Fair, Sunday, August 7th. Over two dozen companies are looking to place positions from master growers to marketing directors. Visit www.indoexpo.com to learn more. See you at the show. The political climate is at a fever pitch, and the fight for the social fabric of America is set for battle this November. Tuesday, November 8th, the cannabis liberation movement takes a huge step forward. And Cannabis Radio is here to chronicle this legendary moment. CannabisRadio.com and the Cannabis Radio News Team will feature wall-to-wall live coverage of all the coast-to-coast voting of state amendments, ballots, propositions, and initiatives that will further progress the Cannabis Crusade. Join us Thursday, November 8th for Vote 2016, The Path to Cannabis Freedom, only on CannabisRadio.com. This is Dan Michaels from danmichaelsaudio.com, and you're listening to Radical Russ on CannabisRadio.com. At Herbie's Cannabis Seeds, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best quality seeds from the world's most respected cannabis seed producers, all at the lowest online prices. You can find Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. All cannabis seeds are sold as souvenirs and as a means of preserving cannabis genetics. Herbie Seeds in no way intends to condone, promote, or incite the use of illegal or controlled substances. We strongly urge all prospective customers to check their national laws prior to placing an order. Herbie Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. Proud sponsors of the Russ Belville Show and 420 Radio. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Thursday, July 28, 2016. Canberra, Australia. The Australian government has moved one step closer to approving the legalization of hemp seed as a food product. Low-THC industrial hemp seeds are a staple of diets around the world, even in countries that have prohibited psychoactive cannabis. But on Thursday, Food Standards Australia New Zealand signaled the Australian government of its approval to legalize the hemp seed as food. At issue were concerns over the effect of hemp seed ingestion on roadside drug testing and the worry that legalizing hemp seed would be seen as approving of cannabis in general. Portland, Oregon. A 19-year-old Native American man is facing one year in prison and a $1,000 fine for possessing a gram of marijuana in a state where an ounce is legal. Devontre Thomas is set for federal trial over the gram that was found in another student's backpack at the Chamawa Indian School. That student claims Thomas sold the marijuana to him. This is the first time in three years that an Oregon U.S. attorney has pursued pot possession charges. The school Thomas attended is managed by the Bureau of Indian Affairs, which only recognizes federal marijuana law, not state-level legalization. Thomas has pleaded not guilty to the charge and will face trial in September. Dallas, Texas. A new study from the American Heart Association reveals concerns about the effects of secondhand cannabis smoke on the cardiovascular system. 
the blood vessels of rats in the study took at least three times longer to recover function after only a minute of breathing secondhand marijuana smoke compared to recovery after a minute of breathing secondhand tobacco smoke. Blood vessel function was examined in rats before and after exposure to secondhand marijuana smoke at levels similar to real-world secondhand tobacco smoke. Researchers also found the mere burning of the plant material appears responsible for the impaired blood vessels, not chemicals like nicotine and tetrahydrocannabinol, the psychoactive ingredient in marijuana, nor rolling paper. Harrison, Arkansas. Authorities in the Arkansas Ozarks region were joined by Congressman Steve Womack in a marijuana eradication effort this week. The Republican lawmaker posted on Facebook that the Arkansas National Guard and Boone County Sheriff's Office eliminated 90 marijuana plants after flying the area by helicopter Tuesday. Womack, who served more than 30 years with the Arkansas National Guard, posted photos of himself in the helicopter and standing in the patch of marijuana. Congressman Womack's work resulted in the eradication of an estimated one-tenth of one percent of Arkansas's cannabis plants at the cost of only $4,000 of helicopter time. Cottonwood, Arizona. An Arizona mom is behind bars after authorities allege she gave her 11- and 12-year-old children marijuana-infused gummy candies. Jessica Barrett, age 34, was arrested and police seized multiple forms of marijuana candy she was given by a friend and Thea Sanderson-Jones, age 35, as payment for babysitting. Jones has a valid medical marijuana card in Arizona. News reports are unclear on Barrett's status. The two children told their father the candy made them, quote, act crazy, end quote. Barrett is facing two counts of child abuse and two counts of possession of marijuana. Jones was also arrested and charged with the illegal transfer of marijuana. Portland, Oregon. A new crop will be featured at the Oregon State Fair this year, marijuana. The Oregonian reports that the fair awards prizes for the curviest vegetable or the most misshapen fruit. This year, marijuana plants will also be on display and will be judged by a panel of growers before the fair. The Oregon Cannabis Business Council is sponsoring the exhibit. Chairman Don Moore says nine plants will be displayed in a greenhouse and monitored by a security guard. Only people aged 21 and older will be allowed inside. Fair spokesman Dan Cox says the exhibit is a nod to the newly legal status of cannabis. Morse says, however, that those hoping for a sample will be disappointed. Tallahassee, Florida. Florida's Department of Health has granted its second dispensing authorization for medical marijuana. On Wednesday, the agency notified Certera Therapeutics that it had been approved for processing and dispensing low-THC cannabis. Certera is the dispensing partner for the homestead-based Alpha Foliage, which was granted the license for the southwest Florida region. Spokeswoman Monica Russell says Certera expects to begin in-home state delivery within a week. Its first dispensary facility in Tampa is expected to open next month. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Thursday, July 28th, 2016. I'm Russ Belville. Maui Wowie. Acapulco Gold. California Kush. Our strains stretch everywhere, too. This is the Cannabis Radio Network. The cannabis industry is growing, business is booming, and as new opportunities arise in newly legalized states, each market is getting more competitive. Today, it takes more than just being a good grower. Do you have the resources to market and handle this ever-changing business landscape? Let Canna Management Corporation help you grow your canna business with our vast resources and experience to make your business a fully functional service company. Financial management, HR, sales, marketing, efficiency, and more. CMC has the experience and the expertise to improve your business and help you better meet the demands of your clients and customers. Call Canna Management Corporation and let our team get you ready to grow. 415-269-8015. That's 415-269-8015. Or visit canna-management.com. Mentions the Stoner Jesus Show podcast on CannabisRadio.com. And don't try to debate me on something. Motherfucker, I can't do many things well. But words are my shit. The Stoner Jesus Show. Live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Or find the Stoner Jesus Show podcast on demand at CannabisRadio.com and StonerJesus.net. Peace, bitches. The Russ Belleville Show reminds you to never smoke and drive impaired. Hang out for a while and share. 
Get dot buzz. Dot buzz is the internet platform that fuels community interest, excitement, and new experiences. Dot buzz is the premier online destination for internet users seeking the latest news on a variety of topics. Dot buzz appeals to groups active in blogging, communications, journalism, advertising, and marketing. Dot buzz offers registrants a stronger alternative to the shrinking namespace of existing top-level domain names such as dot com, dot net, and dot org. Get your name now at get dot buzz. One of the most disturbing elements of the Prohibition War is how it's made police the enemy of otherwise law-abiding cannabis consumers. Fortunately, one group of police officers knows the futility of Prohibition reaches out to educate the community and current law enforcement. Today, the Russ Belleville Show visits with another speaker from Law Enforcement Against Prohibition with one clear message. Cops say legalize drugs. Welcome back, everybody. It's 31 after the hour. Time for our Cops Say Legalized Drugs segment. And joining us today for the segment is Carl Tenenbaum. He's a retired police sergeant from the San Francisco Police Department. Carl, can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you great. Fantastic. Glad to have you here. And just to, to confirm, this is San Francisco, not South San Francisco? San Francisco. <laughs> last week City we, by the Bay. Last week we had a guest on who was from South San Francisco, and I messed it all up. I wanted to make sure I got the right city. That, <laughs> that would have been probably Joe Baldwin you talked about. It sure was. He was great. Uh, so, yeah. so you know Joe? Uh, I just actually met him last week on a, uh, on a commercial shoot for Prop 64. Okay. So uh, checking out your bio, Carl, uh, says you began in 1981, uh, spent 32 years as a street cop in San Francisco. Uh, Give us some uh, of the highs and lows of that. And what about your experience turned you around to wanting to end prohibition? Um, Let's see, highs and lows. Well, you know, the entire entire experience is kind of one big high. It was really uh, a city that I grew up in, it's, it's a great city to work, uh, people there really uh, uh, embrace the cops, and, and I really enjoyed it a lot. So it was a really rewarding job, one that, you know, as a kid growing up, I wanted to do, and um, uh, like I said, it was, it was an on-stop high. The, the lows are the, the day-to-day dealings with the, the social ills. I mean, obviously people think, they think big-time law and order, CSI, robberies, murders, it's, it's the daily grind, it's kind of the low, it's kind of what you know, what, what wears cops down and what erodes away at them. And, and, you know, you're exposed to a lot of just to, to the, I call them the mundane problems, the, the, the you know, the, the derelicts, the drunks, the homeless, especially mm-hmm. in such a big homeless problem. And then, the, you know, the big social economic divide. So that, that's kind of been a nutshell of the highs and lows for me personally. I mean, obviously there were some traumatic events. I had a partner that got killed in the line of duty. You know, there's, there's, there's major life-changing things but all in all 32 years that's that, that was it now your your partner who got killed was that in relation to a drug buy or something exactly what it was we were actually doing a uh we were doing kind of a rolling surveillance we used to do these when we weren't doing active undercover stuff we would just go into the different public housing projects in the areas of uh, and use air quotes here high crime areas there's a lot of street dealing and we saw a uh, we saw a drug deal go down and my partner uh we actually had two separate cars there were six of us all together uh we all bailed get into a foot pursuit i go back and get in the car and what happened actually was my partner was chasing the dealer. It was a crack deal. And my partner was chasing this guy across a really busy boulevard in San Francisco. And my partner got hit by a car. Oh. So it was kind of a fluky thing, but, but that was, uh, that was the way it went down. Man, what a shame. Sorry to hear about that. Uh, so you were working and this is not just, you know, we're talking, you know, 1980s that there had to have been, you know, the, the, the Miami vice era, the crack era. Uh, was that a big part of your job? <laughs> that was, that was the primary part of it. Like I said, I joined in 81 uh, you know, I initially went to the narcotics unit in 1982. It was a short-term, they call them details. You get detailed, you get transferred, you get assigned. I got detailed in narcotics in 82, and that was primarily the focus was on weed. We had a weed sales problem. People were complaining about the dealing on the street. So we were doing pretty much weed enforcement. I transferred back to the station, and then five years later, in 1987, really at the, I mean, I will say this is when crack was just really kind of the epidemic. You know, I think you can trace the crack epidemic back to 
85, 80, 45, mm-hmm. 86. And so in 87, uh, I went down in the narcotics unit, and, and one of my talking points when I speak on behalf of the police is the fact that when I was in narcotics in 82, there were about 25 cops there. When I went back in 87, there were about 125 cops. And it just <laughs> became this major, major operation because the whole crack war on crack, war on drugs. And, yeah, it was, it was crazy. I mean, it was really crazy. It was day-to-day stuff like the story I just told about my partner. We were just, we were just in it, inundated with it. So, um, yeah, I was, I was really in it. You know, you asked me earlier on in the interview about, you know, when was my, my, my awakening or, you know, my epiphany. And I just think being exposed to what we were doing day to day and going into primarily the public housing projects of low income neighborhoods and seeing the, you know, the blight and the futility and also the fact that our enforcement was, was really focused on these areas and, and realizing it was it was futile. There was a lot of futility and, and I was starting to feel a little disillusioned during the course of I was down in narcotics for three and a half years that time. And it was just you know, it's a revolving door throughout the whole arrest and booking and prosecution and court. And, and it's the same people when they get out they go back out to dealing and if they go to jail something takes over for them. And plus we had cops getting hurt. My partner was was the worst case scenario, but we had cops getting hurt left and right. And I just remember thinking to myself, we're out there fighting with people. I mean, literally hand-to-hand combat, struggling, you know, choking guys off for a $10 piece of crack cocaine. So just, it didn't make any sense. And mm. it still doesn't. I think one of the uh, difficult things for people trying to address this situation is they'll look at the war on drugs and they'll hear stories like yours and go, yeah, this ain't working. But what are we going to do? Have Bob's crack store? <laughs> how are we going to? How are we going to end the prohibition? <laughs> no, that's just going to be Carl's crack store. I've already got to figure out. <laughs> Carl's crack store. Plan. That's alliterative. <laughs> um, no, I, I, you know, I'm not. I'm not an expert yet, but I'm going to say based on the the, 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 the reality is a street copper really is not working. Yeah, what's the solution? And I haven't looked. I can't even say. If it, I think it's. it's Switzerland, where they've legalized it. If you, you know, the problem in this country is we, we, we recognize the drug addiction. I mean, forget about, forget about people that are casual users, whether they're great or pot smokers or, you know, the weekend Wall Street guys that are snorting. It's the casual users, one thing, but, but addiction is, 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 is universally recognized as it's a health problem. It's a medical problem. And yet it's the only health and medical problem when we lock people up. So, so what do we do with people that have medical problems? We send them to the doctor and we give them medicine. So if somebody's addicted, I think the solution, and again, I don't know what the models are. I haven't researched that enough, enough but I understand that the way it's done in, I want to, and again, I may be off base, Portugal and Switzerland, where you're, you're, you're an addict. You're, you're addicted to heroin or you're addicted to crack or cocaine or whatever. You go to the state-run clinic and you, you come in and you, you register and you say, look, this is my addiction. I need help. So obviously, number one, there's going to be counseling and there's going to be education. There's going to be awareness. Well, the other thing is, here, here's your daily dose of, of cocaine. Here's your daily dose of heroin. And, and again, I may be oversimplifying, but what people don't realize, well, that's ludicrous, the amount of money, not to, forget about my partner, just the amount of resources that this country, billions and billions and billions of dollars that we spend, not only on locking people up, arresting them, incarcerating them, the whole, like I said, the judicial revolving door, the amount of crime that is committed by the addict in order to get the money, to get, to get the goods to sell for the money to, to buy their drugs. That's what people, I don't think a lot of people are aware of that next, that that's, that's, how, that's how it works. So, yeah, and, and I think the counter-argument is, well, you know, the government's going to run, you know, basically hand out drugs or give out drugs. Well, here's the alternative. You want to keep, you know, you want to come out from the theater and see your car's been broken in again. Yeah, right. And, and so I think, I, think, I think that's what, like I said, I think that there's people, they don't realize that there's that connection. That there's the whole war on drugs. Um, and it, it's, it's a whole, there's a whole economy attached to that, too. So, I mean, we, I don't think we have enough time to talk about it all, but, yeah, so, so Bob's crack ban is actually, no, it's the state-run medical clinic for addicts. And here's where you go and you get your clean needle. Here's where you go and you get your, your, your rock. However, I mean, obviously it has to be well thought out, but I think we're, we're going in the right direction with legalizing weed in the way that, you know, I've, I've read the language of Prop 64 and how it's worked in Colorado and Washington, where there's really specific terms where really 
breaks down. There's, there's really not, you know, the, the goal of reading is to come away like, okay, there's no questions here as to how it's going to run. You know, the state's going to regulate. So I don't think it really has to be almost different for any other drug. And I know it's scary. Uh, it scares a lot of people. But having spent 32 years as a cop, it's not working. You know, it's not. We're speaking with Carl Tenenbaum, a retired police sergeant from the San Francisco Police Department and a speaker with Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. You can find more speakers at leap.cc. Someone is in your area ready to talk to your group. And, uh, Carl, I'm glad you brought up Prop 64 because I think uh, when we have this discussion, people are, you know, the polls show 55% ready to support legalization of weed, but all the other drugs around 10% or less. Uh, and you've been there in San Francisco, the heart of it all, where, where medical marijuana began and, and the whole commercial industry sprang, uh, sprang forth. Uh, what's it been like from your perspective as a law enforcement professional, uh, having, to, having to have been busting people for sales in the 80s, now seeing it being legalized now? I, I think it's amazing. I think it's great. I think that, you know, for, for the longest time, the attitude of the cops, for the most part, was sort of a, it was, it was kind of, I don't say decriminalized, it was kind of don't ask, don't tell. And then, <laughs> and then with the war, the war on drugs, where they ramped up, and especially with the crack thing, there were consequences where we were arresting people for pot. And, and you know, when I, when I give my talk for Leap, I talk about a particular woman that I arrested for selling me a dime bag of weed. I was undercover. And, and it was just, and even then, I'm a rookie cop going, this doesn't make any sense. It's a little pack of weed. It's just, it, it's, it's kind of inconsequential to me. I mean, I know that there's, there's awareness and education. There are consequences. People think about weed smoking. But, you know, here this woman suddenly has a felony record for selling weed. So I think at the time, I realized it was kind of ludicrous and, and even more so. And to see that California did sort of lead the charge with the legalized marijuana, and now we're sort of on the verge of making a legalized statewide, it's, it's nice to see, you know, the, the tide changing. And, and I think it's just a matter of time before it is nationwide. But my own personal outlook is, yeah, I feel a little, a little conflicted having enforced it for so long, but I'm just, I'm thrilled that we've come full circle to where it's now that's going to be legalized and we're going to reduce the, the rates of incarceration and the money spent and the resources dedicated to, to enforcing weed laws. Yeah, glad to hear it. Now, that does lead to what I was going to ask next, and we've only got about a minute left, but do you really think that uh, uh, legalizing marijuana redirects police resources, or do these guys just take more time off on breaks? No, absolutely, (laughs) it redirects them. It absolutely redirects them, because it's just, you know, narcotics enforcement overall has taxed the daylights out of law enforcement, and it's also reprioritized. The regular cop on the street is now kind of the aggressive, hard-charging cops have become more focused on narcotics enforcement. So every traffic stop turns into a you know, fishing expedition where they're looking for it. So no, the cops no longer are tasked with doing, you know, weed enforcement or narcotics enforcement. They're going to they're gonna be able to dedicate their time to other stuff. And yeah, the breaks may be a little bit longer, but the reality is they're, they're going to know that there's other stuff that's not, weed's just not a priority. And I think a lot of cops are really... That's good news. Thank you. Carl Tenenbaum from uh, San Francisco. We appreciate your service, and thank you for uh, joining LEAP and standing up for our uh, freedoms. Russ, I appreciate it very much. Thank you for all you're doing. All right. We're going to take a quick break here, and uh, when we come back, we will have my radical rant on my advice for people who want a third-party president, people who want a third-party representation, people who want a choice other than giant douche or turd sandwich. I've got the solution for you. It takes work. It takes math. It takes dedication, but it can be done. I've got your answer when we return. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Seed to sale, clicks to conversions, and more. You're listening to the Cannabis Radio Network. Thousands of cannabis professionals convened this August in Portland, Oregon, to the city responsible for half a billion dollars in cannabis commerce. 
The Portland Expo Center hosts Indo Expo August 6th and 7th. Indo Expo has seed to sale covered all weekend long with educational seminars and over 250 exhibitors. Lights, nutrients, trimmers, extractors, greenhouses, cutting edge grow gear, genetics, smoking accessories, and more. Free admission for buyers, store owners, and MJ industry professionals. Visit www.indoexpo.com. I'm Radical Russ from the Russ Belleville Show. Tennessee's Congressman Steve Cohen. Well, you know, if marijuana is a gateway drug, then kissing is a fake gateway activity. It's a sexual addiction. U.S. Representative Jared Polis. Yes, we really have a growing group of, uh, of representatives that um, support decriminalization. It's the Russ Belleville Show, the NPR of POT, weekdays live at 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific, exclusively on CannabisRadio.com. This is the Russ Belleville Show. Annoying Kevin Sabat since 2012. The Russ Belleville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make room. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it and didn't inhale. One major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical rant. Well, well, since I have dropped my Bernie or bus stand to support Hillary Clinton for president, I've had to deal with so many people urging me to vote for the Green Party's Jill Stein or the Libertarian Party's Gary Johnson. Now, I think Dan Savage has the best take on this quadrennial third-party distraction, but I wanted to follow it up with some concrete advice for my third-party-loving friends on the left and the right. Stop trying to change the players and start trying to change the game. What binds us to a duopoly is one simple thing. Math. There's a website out there and this is your homework, dear listeners, called rangevoting.org. Rangevoting.org, and it'll give you the full mathematical explanations. I have been hyping this concept for a decade now, and I rarely find any of my green or libertarian friends that even know it exists, much less hyping it, which is odd considering it is the only way by which the system can be fixed to allow for third parties. This is why I have my doubts about the sincerity of the angry quadrennial third-party presidential voter who I can never recall hitting me up to vote Green or Libertarian for the city council, sheriff, district attorney, or state rep running in between the presidential elections. As Dan Savage pointed out, elected Greens make up about 0.017% of the estimated 520,000 elected offices in the United States, and none of them are a governor, congressperson, or senator. That's largely because no matter how great a candidate the Greens or Libertarians run, the math of our pick-only-one voting system works in favor of the entrenched two parties. And yes, it's completely unfair that there's unreachable hurdles for ballot access or having to get 15% in the polls to make the debate and then they don't put you in the polls. I agree. That's all bullshit. The Dem, the Democrats and the Republicans have put in the way of third parties, which even further buttresses my argument as to why you have to change the game, not the players. Range voting means that you're not limited to just one selection for president or any office. You're allowed to pick all the people you think would be a good job. 
would do a good job. Like if if it were the 2000 election and it were Gore, Nader, Bush, you could check Gore and Nader. And whoever got the most votes at the end, there's your president. If it were the uh, Perot, Clinton, uh, Bush election, you could check Perot and Clinton or however you wanted to do it. Now, there's variations of this. There's some methods where you make it a score of zero to nine for each candidate. That's called ranked choice. Other systems would let you pick just multiple choice, which is ranked choice with just a one or a zero, really binary ranked choice. Or there's another option where you just pick one first choice and one second choice, something they call instant runoff voting, where if nobody gets a majority of the votes, then the second place votes are counted. There's a lot of variations, but regardless of method, if we had this range voting, you could both vote for Stein and Clinton or vote for Johnson and Stein or vote for Johnson and Stein and Clinton. Everybody's vote totals would be added up and the person with the most votes wins. It would be your way of saying, look, I I prefer Jill Stein or I prefer Gary Johnson, but if they don't get enough votes, I prefer Clinton to Trump. The system we have now only allows you to say, I prefer Jill Stein or I prefer Gary Johnson, but if they don't get enough votes, well, y'all figured out I've already had my say. Now, some of you will say that, yeah, Russ, it's a great idea, but trying to install range voting is as pie in the sky idea as trying to elect Jill Stein or Gary Johnson. Why would the two parties, enriched by the current single vote system, work to change that? Well, the difference is that we have a mechanism outside the two-party system with which to get range voting. Think marijuana legalization. Did you think the uh, Democrats or the Republicans stepped up to make that happen? No, it would have to start at the state level in those states that have citizen ballot initiatives. There are 24 such states. But I'd start somewhere with a small, demographically homogenous population, like uh, Vermont or Utah. Pass an initiative, instituting range voting, and let her rip. And give it a few cycles of range-voted elections, and someday Vermont has a green statehouse and governor, and Utah has a libertarian statehouse and a governor. Then you repeat that cycle in some of the other initiative states as as more people have more and more exposure to what range voting is and see the results it produces and allows people to not have to vote lesser of two evils and seeing more third parties getting into office and gaining power, more of the disaffected voters, the guys that never get off the couch and more of the third party voters, they get on the bandwagon, they start to pass it in their states. And then, like medical marijuana, it continues to grow and shape the political conversation. And eventually, some state legislatures start to pass it, pushed by the increasing number of third-party candidates who win local and state elections, since the third party is building financial backing and political clout. And then, maybe sometime around 2036, you've got a significant number of states that have range voting, and there becomes a nationwide push to institute it federally through a constitutional amendment. Get that done, and perhaps Malia Obama becomes the first green president, or Rand Paul becomes the first libertarian president. That's it. Change the game. Get the greens and the libertarians and the socialists and the constitutionalists and the workers' world party and all the rest to decide to band together and focus all their energies on passing a range voting initiative in their state. That's something the frackingest libertarian and the gun grabbingest green can work together on. It's changing the game that they all agree is rigged. Oh, but Russ, that would require communications and collaboration over multiple states and conflicting organizations with differing agendas, and it would take a generation to complete. It's so much easier for me to get all pissed off and self-righteous and throw my vote away and claim a clean conscience when Donald Trump is setting an eight-to-one conservative Supreme Court for the next generation. Besides, it could never be done. It would never work. Really? Well, what I kind of just described was what the right did when they merged evangelicals, fiscal conservatives, and southern white males into a political force that brought us to this two-headed corporate party problem in the first place. 
let's turn range voting into the next medical marijuana. Get all the third parties, all the folks who don't vote, all and even some disillusioned Republicans and Democrats behind it. Don't hate the players, hate the game and change it. And really, I got to say that that Dan Savage piece had so much to do with changing my There were a few things. It's it's just been this whole week it's been eating away at me, folks. I got to be honest. One of them came from a comment of my friend Rachel Kurtz who said Hillary is I-502 and Trump is prohibition. Now, it's not a perfect analogy. I can pick it apart, right? Because I-502 is a yes or no vote. The other initiatives weren't also on the ballot. Trump doesn't exist yet. Prohibition already exists. There's problems with the analogy. But the heart of the analogy was accurate. I-502 was a turd sandwich as far as legalization goes. It was a total turd sandwich. It continues to wreak all sorts of havoc. But it was incremental progress forward. And more importantly, it was symbolically important. There was a huge symbolism to this. Think about the fact that should Hillary Clinton get elected? And again, let's have the standard disclaimer. I do not like her. (laughs) I'm not going to send her money. I think she's a liar and a warmonger and uh, corrupt and all, eh, all the things you want to say, but I can't be mad at her for all of that shit and not also like hold Donald Trump to the same standard. You see, you see what I'm saying? It's like, if I got to pick between two lying, corrupt, warmongering, 1% oligarchs, I'll pick the one that likes women, minorities, and immigrants. Right? So they can't, if they're equal, you still at least have to grant her that, don't you? I mean, just look at the audiences of the two conventions. But like I-502, there was another part to it, and that's the context. I-502 would be the first time a state ever legalized marijuana, along with Colorado at the time and Oregon at the time. And I felt that was so important that the symbolism of legalizing marijuana, that it would be real somewhere, that it would open people's eyes, was important. And it was also important that Colorado not be the only state to pass. Had both, because I knew Oregon was going to fail. Had Oregon and Washington failed, Colorado's all by itself, isolated, and seems like a fluke. Oh, those hippies in the mountains, right? But with Colorado and Washington legalized, that was two states. That's not a fluke. That's a movement. Had Washington not legalized, Oregon would not have followed in 2014. Have Oregon and Alaska not succeeded in 2014 along with D.C., I don't see five states being on the ballot in 2016. Maybe California's on the ballot in 2016, and it's trying to fight to legalize with only Colorado being the only legal state. So how could I eat that turd sandwich in I-502 and not eat the turd sandwich of Hillary Clinton? And not put myself in the same uh, uh, logical space, if you will, as the people during the I-502 days that were saying, no, we've got this other initiative that's true legalization. Yeah, it's third-party Jill Stein legalization. It's wonderful. I fucking love it. It's never going to make the ballot. And I guess that's just what it came down to for me, folks. I just... That reality check... Sarah Silverman telling me I was being ridiculous kind of was like a slap in the face. It pissed me off. And then suddenly I went, well, wait a minute. (laughs) Maybe she's right. And then just day after day of listening to the speeches at the Democratic Convention and more, more than that, seeing the diversity of that crowd. I saw more black people in the opening number of the DNC than I saw all four days of the Republican Convention. I saw more wheelchairs on the stage than I saw the whole day of the Republican convention. Republicans did win on flags, though. They did great on flags, didn't they? Folks, that's all the time we got for today. And again, no Toker Talk Radio. I'm going to call it early this week. But next week, we'll be back with two-hour shows. For everyone here at Cannabis Radio, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, Tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com.